Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Happy Mother's Day weekend. You know, we're in a series called Restart. As a nation, we've been in a shutdown. And for the last few weeks, we've been talking about principles of restart. And today, on Mother's Day, we're going to be tackling what I believe is the most complicated concept of all. But even though it's complicated, it's extremely important. And here it is. It's all about figuring out how to handle the pain of yesterday's shutdown and the hope of tomorrow's new beginning. And you know there's a tension, there's a dissonance between those. Pain from yesterday's shutdown and the joy and the hope of tomorrow's new beginning. Now here's what makes that complicated. On paper, it would seem like we go through these sequentially or separately. But life doesn't work that way, does it? The truth is just more complicated. Because what we experience is the first light from tomorrow's restart tends to show up when the sorrow of yesterday's shutdown is still there. And the challenge is, how do we deal with both at the same time? How do we deal with both the pain and the joy that come together dealing with the shutdown of yesterday and the joy of a new restart tomorrow? Well, you know already what I'm talking about, and my guess is that you're feeling that even right now. I mean, there are still remnants of the shutdown that are with us, and yet at the same time, we're being challenged to think about how to come back. Let me share a story with you that helps illustrate this. Story goes like this. On Saturday morning, June 4th, 1977, a 68-year-old widow in the hill country of Texas is awakened by unspeakably heart-wrenching news. 170 miles away in Fort Worth, police have found the body of her 36-year-old son, teacher, brilliant musician, brutally stabbed to death in a home invasion. You know, it's said that the greatest heartbreak in life is having to bury one of your kids, but death like this I mean, not only losing a, a young adult son, but to lose him in this kind of situation is unspeakable. That news comes on Saturday morning. On the following Monday, her family will gather in the little town where she's lived all her life, and they will bury her son in the family cemetery. But there's something else. The following Saturday night, just five days after the funeral, is the scheduled wedding of her grandson. The grandson that she's always told was her favorite, although she's probably told all of her grandsons that, but he believes it. So here's the question. What does she do? Monday afternoon, it's the funeral of her brutally slain son. It's the pain of yesterday shut down. Saturday night, the joy of a new beginning. Her grandson is getting married. The problem is they both come in the same week. So what does she do? Does she beg off from the wedding? I mean, everybody would understand, including and especially her grandson. Well, I'll tell the rest of the story in just a few minutes. But on this Mother's Day, I want us to focus on this moment and you and me. When yesterday's shutdown pain and tomorrow's restart excitement show up at the same time. It's fitting today that our Bible story is about a couple of mothers, a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. Well, those stories aren't always good, but this one is beautiful. And it comes from a little four-chapter book in your Bible that's named after the daughter-in-law, Ruth. In fact, 
I just told Mary Alice at breakfast this morning, I think I could preach the rest of my ministry just out of these four chapters. It's a beautiful story. And I would encourage you to take time to read it today, especially all of you moms and grandmothers and all of you who love them. It would be a great thing just to read the book of Ruth. It only takes a few minutes. Okay, let's look at the first part of the book and the shutdown. It all starts in Bethlehem, the city where David will be born and ultimately Jesus. But these are bad times. There is a man, Elimelech. There is a wife, Naomi, and a couple of boys, Malon and Kilion. Times are bad in Bethlehem and food is scarce. So Elimelech announces to the rest of the family that he's making a family decision. It's a bad one. He is saying, we're going to move out of Bethlehem and go to Moab. Moab is a bad place. People worship idols there. They not only worship idols, it is an extraordinarily wicked and violent culture. In fact, the local worship of their God involves the sacrificing of babies being burned alive in an altar that really is, it's kind of like the shape of their God that they've imagined, but the belly is hollowed out and has become a furnace. This is a really, really bad place. But hey, there's money in Moab and it's bad in Bethlehem. So Elimelech says, we are moving to Moab. Bad decision. Well, when they go there, it isn't long after they get to Moab that Elimelech dies. And Naomi and her two sons, Malin and Kilion, go out to the cemetery. And like the mother I talked about in the story earlier, they have to leave behind the body of the head of the family. But of course, they're still Malin and Kilion. And, and in time, both of those boys get married. And they marry local Moabite girls. One marries a girl named Orpah, and the other marries a girl named Ruth. But if disaster struck with the death of Elimelech, it strikes unspeakably because one by one, Malon and Kilion die. And again and again, this little family goes out to the cemetery and leaves behind a husband. Well, of course, What's left then is pain and disappointment and poverty, and especially for Naomi, regret. I mean, when you read chapter one in the book of Ruth, it's the ultimate shutdown, the shutdown of a bad decision, the shutdown of the loss of the head of the family, and one by one, the loss of these two young men. And again, all that's left is Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth, and they are in abject poverty. To feel what Naomi feels, you can look in chapter one because she puts it in words. And we're going to read this in just a few moments. Ultimately, Naomi and Ruth are going back to Bethlehem. And when they get to Bethlehem, and again, we'll talk about that decision in just a moment. But when they get to Bethlehem, people are shocked to see her. Naomi is a very beautiful woman, or at least she was. In fact, she was not only beautiful, she was charming. And she was sort of the joy of the city. But now that she's coming home, her, her hair is streaked with gray. She's careworn. She just looks like a different person. And we read this in Ruth 1. The, the women ask, can this really be Naomi? And to feel and to hear the pain of the shutdown, listen to her words in verse 20. She told them, don't call me Naomi anymore. Well, Naomi means beautiful or pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Now think about that one more time. Don't call me beautiful anymore. Call me bitter. Because God has made my life bitter. I had everything when I left, but the Lord has brought me back with nothing. Shut down. I mean, can you imagine a bigger shutdown than that? She said, I had everything when I left, but I've come back with nothing. 
Well, if you've been part of our series, Restart, Moving On After Life Shuts Down, you know that each week we're looking at a principle. Because as I've said, right now we're talking about the coronavirus. But some of you are going through more shutdowns than just the coronavirus right now. And these series at New Spring tend to have a lifespan. And maybe 10, 15 years down the road, someone's going to find this series and there will be different shutdowns other than the coronavirus. So what I'm trying to do every week is to give you a biblical principle that you can plug into any situation of shutdown. Today, just three simple words that frame our principle. And I think this is so perfect for Mother's Day. Here it is. Move toward daylight. Move toward daylight. Okay, we're going to let these two mothers show us the way. I I know Ruth is not a mother yet, but wait till the end of the story. Here's what I want to do. In this idea of moving toward daylight, I want to give you five keys. And here is the first one. And let me just say this before we get into these keys. All we're going to do is follow the contours of the book of Ruth. And we're going to let these two women take us to school on five keys to dealing with when you have pain, the pain of yesterday's shutdown, and the joy of tomorrow's restart that come at the same time. Here's where it starts. Number one, be open to the idea that life isn't over and that a fresh new chapter is possible. Now, we know how Naomi feels. We just heard her. But I want you to look at something that happens right before she says that. And by the way, Remember that life and emotions are complicated and confusing. Aren't yours that way? I mean, if you catch me at the wrong time, I can seem completely down. If you catch me another time, I can be way up. It's just emotions are complicated. So here is what happens right before Naomi tells the women of the city that she's coming back home and empty. In Ruth 1 verse 6, the Bible says, Naomi heard in Moab... That's the place where everything fell apart and shut down. Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people by giving them good crops again. So Naomi got ready to leave Moab and to return to her homeland. Now we know from what we read in the rest of the book that Naomi doesn't expect much. She doesn't expect that she's going to go home and everything's going to be fine again. But don't you hear in the text that Naomi sees just the littlest flicker of daylight. Remember the story that we talked about two weeks ago, the prodigal son who said, I will get up. I see this element in Naomi. She doesn't expect much. Life can't be the same. She's still dealing with the pain of yesterday's shutdown. But maybe, just maybe, there's enough daylight. There's enough hope to take off for home. Well, I love the book of Ruth. And its four chapters are like four acts of a play. And I love how the first act ends because when Naomi and Ruth go home, in verse 22, the Bible says they arrived in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Do you see that? I mean, if you think about this as chapter one being the opening act of a play, chapter one opens with a horrific shutdown and it closes. The last thing you see in chapter one is the beginning of a new season. Not much has happened yet. (laughs) There's nothing too beautiful to look at. Just the slightest move toward daylight. Just two hurting, broken women open to the idea that life may not be over yet. And so this is the first key to dealing with when you have to have the pain of yesterday shut down and you see the joy of a new beginning. It's just being open to the idea that life may not be over yet. 
because we know what the enemy is going to try to do in this shutdown or any other. The enemy is going to say, your life is finished. It'll never be back the way it was. Your life is over. Well, Naomi and Ruth still are dealing with the pain of yesterday's shutdown, but maybe, just maybe, there's a little daylight and they're going to move back to Bethlehem. They're going to move toward that daylight. Well, here's key number two, but let me give you a little more backstory first. When you move into chapter two, which is the second act of our play, it's really important for us to keep in our minds that there are no social services during this time. There, there are no, there's no government assistance. Naomi and Ruth are moving back with absolutely nothing, and they have to eat. And remember, we have a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. Now, when they get back to Bethlehem, Ruth hears a rumor. Now, don't forget, Ruth's not from Bethlehem. She's from Moab. She's completely used to a different culture. But she has told her mother-in-law, I'm going to stay with you, and your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. So when Ruth comes back to town, Naomi is just so shattered, she can't even think about how to put one foot in front of, her, in front of the other. But Ruth is listening to what's going on, and she hears a rumor that there's a God-given law protecting poor people. It was called the law of gleaning, and here's what it was. Simply this, when harvest took place, there would be stalks of wheat or barley or grain that would fall that the reapers would not catch. And then the corners of the field were to be left alone. And here was God's law, so that poor people who had nothing to eat could come and pick up the stalks of grain that were lying there on the ground, and then they could harvest the corners of the field. It's the law of gleaning. It wasn't very much, but it would be enough for two people to eat just to survive another day. So when Ruth hears about this law, she comes home to Naomi and says, let me go to the fields and pick up leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. She's saying, I've heard about the law of gleaning. Let me do that. Maybe there'll be enough food to keep us from starving. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. Now, here's a really important observation about restarting. It's been my experience that a lot of people never get a restart because the available opportunities are too little for them. I mean, they had the best of life before or a good life before, but the opportunities that are now there in the restart are too small and they can't get over what they've lost and so they never restart because they insist on sitting in the rubble of yesterday's shutdown and waiting for life to come back like it was. Well, I can imagine that living on gleanings wasn't easy for Naomi. No doubt at one time she looked at pity or with pity on those who did. I mean, after all, she had been a landowner and people came to her fields to glean and she pitied those people. But now she's in the spot where she's going to have to be a gleaner. Is anybody there today? It does hurt when life demotes us. But I'm going to share a scripture that will encourage you to take another step toward daylight. If you're in a scenario where you don't have what you used to have and the opportunities that are before you are very, very small, fall in love with Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10. The Bible says, do not despise these small beginnings. A translation that I grew up with said, don't despise the day of small beginnings. In other words, 
There's going to be a season or a day in your life where the only beginnings that are available are small. But God is saying, don't despise these small beginnings. Look at the rest of the verse. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. In other words, if all you have before you is a small opportunity, then don't despise that small opportunity. But as we're going to see, God is at work and he rejoices to see us take the first step of faith to access those small beginnings. Okay, I've already given key two away, but let's just make sure we don't miss it. Key number two, after you, key number one is to believe there may be a a new beginning. Key number two is don't despise the day of small beginnings. I'm going to go straight to key number three. Because when you believe that a new day is possible and you're willing to take the available steps, the next thing that happens is God's grace. Key number three, be on the lookout for God's grace. Well, a few moments ago, I gave you an observation. Let me tag on to that by saying this. If leftover pain from the shutdown closes my eyes to grace, I may miss opportunities. In other words, if all I can see is the rubble of the shutdown and everything that I've lost, if, if that closes my eyes to God's grace, I can miss opportunities. Well, how did we leave Naomi and Ruth a few moments ago? We left them in the day of small beginnings. Ruth said, I heard there's a law to protect poor people. I can go pick up leftover grain that falls on the ground. Well, that's the small beginnings. But as we're going to see in chapter 3, grace is on the way. Quick setup, just so that you'll have the backstory here. Ruth, let's get to know her. She's a widow. She's young. She's beautiful. She's a Moabite. Grew up in a godless culture, but she has come to embrace Jehovah God. We see that in chapter one. Ruth said to Naomi, your God will be my God. And she loves her mother-in-law and she has a powerful work ethic. Simply put, Ruth is a real catch. Now, this little line from chapter two, Ruth two, verse three. And as it happened, I love those words, because it just says so much about the life of a God follower. You know, as it happened is how it felt to Ruth, but you and I can tell from this story, God is so major league at work here. As it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz. Let's meet Boaz. Rich, Boaz is rich, he's single. Kind and generous, a very godly man. And I guess he's in his late 30s, early 40s, a few years older than Ruth. Don't get ahead of me, but you can probably guess what's going to happen. And you'd be right, because there's magic between Boaz and Ruth. Ruth is out gleaning in the fields, and of course, Boaz is a wealthy landowner. He's got harvesters everywhere, and Boaz is just checking things out. He's ridden out on his horse to look stuff over, and Boaz says to his foreman, who's that, who's that lady back there gleaning? And, and they said, oh, that's Ruth. And Boaz will say to them, drop some grain on purpose for her. <laughs> you, you leave some handfuls out there for her. And of course, Ruth quickly understands that she's being favored. And so she asks Boaz when Boaz rides up to talk to her, why are you being so good to me? I love Boaz's answer. He said, I've heard all about you. I've heard about the way you treated your mother-in-law, how you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and have come to live among a bunch of total strangers. 
God rewards you well for what you've done and with a generous bonus besides from God, and I love this line, to whom you've come seeking protection under his wings. Okay, sum it up. Boaz rides up. He talks to Ruth. Ruth is saying, why are you being so kind to me? Boaz said, I've heard about your decision to leave your old way of life. I've heard about how kind you are, and I've heard about your relationship with God. Hey, it's not my topic today. We're going to do a series called Summer of Love. I'm not talking about dating here today, but by the way, here's a great lesson on dating. Notice that Boaz didn't say, I heard you were hot. She was, but that's not what Boaz is focused on. I mean, he's focused on her relationship with God and her kindness and her character. Wow. Again, we'll set that aside for another day, but it's good. Well, Boaz sends Ruth home with a truckload of grain. And when she gets there, Naomi knows something unusual is happening. Naomi says, um, what, uh, asks the question, how did you get all that? And Ruth said, I met this nice guy. His name is Boaz. And you see Naomi's eyes light up as she says to Ruth, baby, he's qualified. Well, Ruth doesn't know what that means. And so Naomi explains to her, there, there's a law in Jerusalem that if a woman is a widow and there is a, a relative of her husband who wants to marry her and she's in agreement with that, that he has the first right to ask her to marry him. And so when Naomi said he's qualified, what Naomi is saying is, Ruth, you don't know this, but Boaz is kin to us. And he, he, there's a little thing that we can do called the kinsman redeemer, which by the way, we'll set this aside for another day, but it's a great picture of salvation because Boaz is a type of Jesus and Ruth is a type of us. Anyway, long story short, and we'll set that aside for another day, but Naomi says, here's the thing. Uh, if you would like to be redeemed by him, if you would like to marry him, there, there, there's some quirky little stuff that's part of our culture that you won't understand. And it goes down like this. If you, want, <laughs> if you want Boaz to ask you to marry him, when the harvest takes place, here's, here's what happens the last night. The guys are all going to sleep with this massive mound of grain. It's just a party, and the guys will a little like sleep with their heads into the grain and their feet out. Like, and it would look like a spokes on a wheel. <laughs> and she said... You need to put on your best dress and your perfume. And what you do is you go down and you lie at the foot of Boaz. And this is, doesn't mean that she's in a subservient position. It's just that these guys are all lined around the grain. And it was Ruth's way of saying, I want to be, I, I want to marry you. And of course, when Boaz realizes that she's there, he says to her, you, you want to marry me? I want to marry you. And we can get together, but there's only one hiccup. There's someone between me and you who is a closer relative. And so he's saying, we're going to have to wait and see if he decides he would rather ask you to marry him than me. Well, now we come to key number four. Because we're so close to a beautiful ending. We're so close to a massive new beginning. But what happens if things don't go right? We get to the fourth key of dealing with when you have to have the pain of yesterday's shutdown and there's the joy of tomorrow's restart. Here's the fourth key. Don't freak out if you have to wait in uncertainty. Now, 
Boaz has made it clear. The next day, he's going to go talk to this nearer kinsman and ask him if he wants to ask Ruth to marry him first. And so, of course, Ruth that night is dealing with the anxiety of wondering how it's going to work out. And Naomi says something to her that's beautiful. And as someone who deals with anxiety, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Naomi says to Ruth, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. In other words, she was saying, Ruth, you don't need to worry about this. Boaz is going to take care of this. He's going to worry about it for for both of you. I think that's such a great statement. You know, sit still because Boaz will not rest. Well, remember that Boaz is a picture of Jesus. And so consequently, when we have to wait in a moment of uncertainty, when it seems like everything in the restart is hanging in the balance, it's so important for us to realize we can wait in confidence because God is at work building our restart. You know, This is an old line, and it's something that God's people have been saying for years, but it's so true. God didn't bring you this far to leave you. You can rest in uncertainty because Jesus won't rest. Well, just to finish this out, it turns out okay. In fact, everything works, and the other kinsman said, no, I'm not interested, and Boaz was able to ask Ruth to marry him, and make a long story short, there's a wedding, and they get married. But that's not all, because pretty soon after they get married, Ruth is pregnant. So now Ruth is about to become a mom. You want to hear how it turns out? You want to hear about the restart? Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to let the Bible tell it. This is in the message paraphrase, and I want to pick up Ruth chapter 4 and verse 13, just to let you know how the restart happened. Boaz married Ruth. Boaz slept with her. By God's gracious, gracious gift, she conceived and had a son. The town people said to Naomi, blessed be God. He didn't leave you without family to carry on your life. May this baby grow up to be famous in Israel. (laughs) He'll make you young again. Naomi took the baby and held him in her arms. Every grandmother listening has got to love that. But let's just read this because this is grandmothers for you. Naomi took the baby and held him in her arms, cuddling him and cooing over him, (laughs) waiting on him hand and foot. The neighborhood women started calling him Naomi's baby boy, but his real name was Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. How cool is that? And that's not the best part. If you go into Matthew chapter 1, you look at the family tree of Jesus. And as you're reading through all those names, you'll come to this verse in verse 5. Boaz had Obed, Ruth was the mother, Obed had Jesse, Jesse had David, and David became king. Ten verses later, and a few names later, the Bible says Jacob had Joseph, Mary's husband, the Mary who who gave birth to Jesus, the Jesus who was called the Christ. How about that for a restart? You have a couple of widows who come home destitute, dealing with unspeakable pain from the past. But they were willing to believe that life wasn't over. And they moved toward daylight. And they didn't despise the small beginnings. And they they looked for God's grace. And they didn't freak out when there was a moment of uncertainty. Well, now we come to the fifth and the final key. Because some of you have been here. Because now you've been through the pain of yesterday's shutdown. 
And you've been through all the emotion that goes with that, but now you're in a season of new beginning and blessing. And sometimes we can deal with those mixed emotions. It's like, am I grieving enough over the pain of the past? But here is key number five. You're not being disloyal to the past when you celebrate God's new season of blessing. One more time. You're not being disloyal to the past when you celebrate God's new season of blessing. I'm sure for Naomi, there was always a sense of loss that her husband had passed. And I'm sure for Ruth, there was some sense of loss over the past. But now God had opened a whole new chapter in their lives. And I I just want to tell you, it didn't stop them from celebrating. I left you hanging a few minutes ago, didn't I? I told you about that woman in South Texas with the funeral of her son on Monday and her grandson's wedding five days later. Well, you probably never met her, but you know her influence. Her, her oldest son, after retiring from 50 years in the pastorate in Texas, served for 12 years as your care pastor. And you know some of her great-grandsons. The grandson of her daughter Kay is your worship pastor, Austin Renfro. Her great-grandson, Stephen, who produces all our television and preached to you a few weeks ago, it's her great-grandson. Our senior associate pastor and family ministry director, Jonathan, who preached last week, is her great-grandson. In fact, 38 of her descendants are in ministry of some kind. And that wedding, that Saturday night, was Mary Alice's and mine. And I told her at the funeral that she didn't have to attend. But on that Saturday night, she was there as the grand dam of our family, as though nothing had happened last week. She was a legend. Her life touched so many people. I I, I didn't quite know the wording for how to close out and give you the headline of that story. So while I was working on this sermon, I called her granddaughter, my cousin, Anita Renfro. And we talked about her like we always do. And I said, Anita, I'm just looking for a statement that sort of sums up the way our grandmother, who was a transformative character in in our life, how she lived. And Anita didn't disappoint me. She had the perfect line. Anita said this, in her life's travels, she was always pointed toward life. That's important because there's always going to be brokenness behind us. There's always going to be pain of yesterday's shutdown. But the question is, which direction are we pointed? And even though she had lost her son brutally on that Monday, or at least the funeral had been that Monday, And I know that she was still grieving that loss. She said to herself, life is happening over here and I'm going to be pointed toward life. If you've watched the previous messages of this series, you know that we have a couple of verses that we're looking at every week. And normally I start with these two verses. But today I felt like it's important that we stop here. Because God talks about what he's done in the past in Isaiah 43, 18. He says, but forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Don't you see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Well, on that critical week back in 1977, I think that's what my grandmother did. She looked to the fact that God was doing something new and that he'd already begun. And she looked at God to know that he would make a pathway through the wilderness 
And he would create rivers in a dry wasteland. If you're in a season right now, which I guess to some degree all of us are, if you're in a season right now where you're looking at the pain of yesterday's shutdown, but the potential joy of tomorrow's restart, think about these five keys. And by the grace of God, turn and move toward the daylight. If God is your God and Jesus is your Lord, regardless of how much pain there is in the past, you can afford to do this because God is always doing something new. Well, of course, the ultimate new beginning that he offers to the human race is the opportunity to have all our sins forgiven and to be given the gift of eternal life. The truth of the matter is, we're all born into a broken world and we all need to be redeemed. Remember, I said a few moments ago that Ruth is a picture of us and Boaz is a picture of Jesus. And remember there was that moment where Ruth said, I want to be redeemed by you. And Boaz said, I will redeem you. What a great picture of all of us recognizing that we have a redeemer in Jesus Christ. Now we do have to decide like Ruth that we want Jesus to be our redeemer. But if you decide that, he will always say, I will redeem you. And no matter who you are, where you are, wherever you may be watching me, any place in the world, if you are willing by faith to say to Jesus, I want you to be my savior. I want you to be my redeemer. You can be sure that he will answer your prayer. Would you be willing to pray with me? Because after all, it's about receiving a gift. If you're willing to ask him, he will hear your prayer. I'll pray each line slowly and you can pray with me. Dear God, I am a sinner, but I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I want Jesus as my redeemer. Please forgive me and adopt me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray with me, I have a gift I want to give you. It's just some items that we have to help you take your first steps in following Jesus. If you're in the United States, you can text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. And again, if you're in the continental United States, we'll get this out to you. If you're outside the United States and you prayed with us, you can text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000, and we'll give you an electronic version of, of what's in this gift box. Thank you so much for joining us. And to all of you moms and grandmothers today, happy Mother's Day, and may God bless and keep you until we get together again. Well, I guess you could call this bonus material for the sermon, but I'm, I'm here with one of my favorite people in the world. This is my cousin, Anita Renfro, and many of you know her from uh, just all the wonderful things that, that she's part of. She's an entertainer, comedian, successful author, worship leader, uh, Anita just does so many things that are successful, but we... Not, not recently. Yeah, I have been well, staying at home with the rest of the world. Yeah, this so. too will pass. But we, we really grew up together, and, and even though we're cousins, we, we really grew up more like brother and sister, and still are to this day, and, and our families are close together, so it's just a, a really, really precious relationship. Well, I talked about uh, my grandmother, Anita's grandmother, in the sermon today, and actually Anita had kind of the final quote from the message um, and, you know, 
grandma changed our lives. She changed the trajectory of our family. And whenever you and I talk, it's, it's real common for us to talk about our grandmother because she was such a game changer. And, you know, she, we, I don't know how many cousins we have. I think they're like 27 in our generation, but she told us that we were her favorites and you and I believe that. Do you think that's really true? Well, I'm sure she told everybody that, but we believed it. We believed it. Yeah. (laughs) I think everybody else was like, oh, you say that. We're like, oh no, no, she probably means that. Um, I think, um, she had a very special way of making everyone feel special. She was very present long before we had the psychological jargon to say present. Um, but I think it was because she was a hard worker and she was always paying attention even though she was doing something. Yeah. Her hands were hardly ever idle. Uh, she grew up in very hard scrabble times herself, then got married um, very young and then had children very young. And it was a matter of survival that she continued to make food, sew clothes, garden. Those things were, you know, I guess she was a millennial. I don't know. I guess they're doing those things now. But um, she could even be snapping beans or doing some hand sewing, and she would listen. She had a a truly listening heart. And uh, she had a way of making us all feel as though we were her favorites, but you and I were just smart enough to believe her. She was really clear about you and me being. Well, here's the thing that uh, I think is really of interest today for people who might be watching, especially moms. And, and maybe those who are not in a, in a perfect situation. Wow. You know, I, <laughs> this is like a year or so ago, I, I was down in Burnett where we're, we're all from, our family, you know, Burnett, Texas. And um, I was in a church service and, and the pastor was talking about something that the church was engaged in doing. And so my mind was kind of drifting. And I, I sat there with my notepad and I started thinking about how many of us, how many of her, her kids grandkids, great-grandkids are in ministry. And by the time I finished the list, Anita, including those who have married into our family, there were 38. Wow. I mean, 38 of her descendants are somewhere leading worship, communicating. uh, and, And the thing of it is, anyone who hears that would think about this woman who has 38 of her descendants in ministry and think, oh, she must have come from a very godly family. Right. Take a moment and talk about the family that we know our grandmother came from. Yes. Well, I guess, does the word brawlers describe <laughs> it? Uh, a little bit of, I, I think, you know, mental instability was yeah. present. Um, some of her people, as I recall knowing them when I was a young child, because they died before I was able to process their problems. They were mean. Um, yeah. So she grew up in a, an, a family unit and in a, a time where, you know, God was not honored. Yeah. It was a passive kind of thing. Yeah, maybe God, God exists. We'll acknowledge him maybe if we I pray. Don't, I don't think there was any faith in her, no in her faith, background. No faith at all. Which is so amazing because she had such a... But, you know, our, our great-grandfather, her dad, left... Yes. Our great-grandmother would have been her mother. And when the kids were small and grandma actually wound up raising her two younger siblings. Right. When she was just a child herself. Right. Um, and I don't remember our great-grandmother, her, her mother too well. All I can remember. I do. 
Well, all I remember was her flower bed because there was such a feeling of bitterness around her. You still want to go in the house. Right. And so I stayed outside whenever we would go to see her. That's all so I remember. you remember the flower bed. I remember the bedpan. <laughs> <laughs> Different beds altogether. But she, she um, by the time I was old enough to remember her, she had lost all her teeth. But I just remember her being a very bitter woman. She was. And yet our grandmother was a very kind-hearted person. Oh my, yeah. And so Jesus interrupting her existence, I think, I think my grandmother would have been that way anyway because she might have been, I will never be like this bitterness that I see. So maybe yeah. part of it was a decision. That's a good point. But I think God hardwired her with a soft heart. He did. And you know, I remember, gosh, I was still in my early 20s, and Grandma always said I was going to be the next Billy Graham, which, you know, we'll talk about, you know, just her faith that she had, which is not true, of course. But I was preaching somewhere, you know, and very, I, this is after Mary Austin were married, and we, anytime I was preaching, like within 50 miles of where she lived, she'd want to go to the service. So we'd picked her up, and she went to hear me preach. And on the way home, she was, of course, overly gracious about the sermon. And she said, oh, I wish I'd heard preaching like that when I was little. She said, you know, the preachers, when I was growing up, all they taught us was to love Jesus. And I thought, boy, somebody was doing some good preaching <laughs> back in those days. And I thought, maybe, maybe I need to do more, more preaching like that. But she really did love Jesus so much. You know, you mentioned she married our grandfather, and they were young. I think, 15, what, six, 15, 15 and 16? 16. Exactly. Uh, that's hard for us to grasp now. But uh, he was not a Christ follower either and had come from a really dysfunctional family. You know, down in South Texas, where we're all from, the area was settled. In fact, it's called Hoover's Valley. Right. It was settled by our ancestors, Jacob and Isaac, Isaac. Hoover, who were circuit-riding Methodist preachers. Right. Uh, but they're like side, we're, we're, we're like, those were like, like uncles or something. The strain of the family we, we come from, in fact, I, forgive me for breaking a sentence, but I was down at Hoover's Valley uh, cemetery event uh, two or three years ago, and our uncle was introducing me as pastor of a great church, <laughs> and the woman who's the archivist for Hoover's Valley, that area down there, said, oh, she said, you're a descendant of Jacob and Isaac Hoover, the preachers. I said, no, I come from the Hellraiser side right. of the family. For sure. But our grandfather was not a God follower. In fact, not he was not a good person in many he, respects in those days. He was an alcoholic. He had rage yeah. We would call it rage. Yeah, yeah, we issues. Was, yeah sure. Um, but he was uncontrolled when he was angry. So you mix that with alcohol and you get a person who has no inhibitions but wasn't that good to begin with before yeah. the no inhibi- inhibitions. Yeah. So um, she lived with abuse yeah. and poverty because whatever he would make would get spent on hooch. Um, before it ever got home to the kids and the wife to make a home. So poverty, abuse, um, alcoholism, and, and they used to go to dances uh, when they were young married. And then at some point, and I don't know where exactly, we, we read through our Nanos papers yeah. trying to look for that point. But Jesus interrupted her existence. And did he ever? Yeah. You know, let's run a subtotal on that. For anybody who's watching us and wondering how you and I and our, our family got to where we are, you think about, here's a, a, a girl growing up with a very bad home situation, no faith in her family. Yep. When she's 15 years old, she marries uh, an alcoholic teenager, 16 years old, who's got rage issues. Right. 
I mean, what are the odds? I mean, because you think about where you and I could have wound up and, yeah. and everybody in our family. What are the odds that there would be a complete change? Right. And, and there was. And of course, um, it wasn't long after that that they started having children. They had nine. My dad is the oldest and right. your mom is uh, one of the younger yes. in the family. Several sets of kids. Uh, but most of the time the kids were growing up, our grandfather was not a believer. Now, I don't, the only grandfather I remember <laughs> was a Christ follower. And right. he was like making up for lost time. And you remember how he'd always want to get us in a corner and preach the Bible to us. That's you know? right. But obviously my grandmother didn't have that experience for a long time. And the odds to answer your question are almost zero. Almost zero, yeah. Um, and here's the two words, and if I could give encouragement to mothers who are struggling with their own situations today, but God. There, there's the break in every family tree, yeah. is if, if God intervenes. And, and a lot of women um, that are be listening today or are trying to, just to survive Mother's Day today because their situations are so bad, the Lord sees you. And he knows you and he knows your situation. And if you can lean hard into his mercy and grace and forgiveness, um, he will be with you. He is the God who sees. And um, he saw our grandmother in all of that chaos. Yeah. But God. Yeah. And then you see, exactly like you say, the family tree turns. Yeah. And... Just in just a generation. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a quirky place to go to, but you know, when we were growing up, Grandma always believed great things for her kids and grandkids, and she let us know, uh, not as a pressure, but just as an excitement about yes. what she believed for us. And I was on my way to McDonald's a couple of days ago to get some breakfast for my grandkids, and I was thinking about that, and I had a strange thought that I don't think I'd ever had before. I, I thought maybe that's faith. Yeah. Because she had confidence in God that God was going to use us in extraordinary ways. How do you yes. feel about that as a mom or a grandma? Well, it's, it's wonderful that she, we now know the power of speaking a blessing over our kids. Yeah. We understand that now. She had no spiritual context for that. No one was preaching that you, you, you send out a blessing over your kids and then they live up to it. That's a concept that, you know, is, I would say, new parenting-wise. Um, but she knew it intuitively that it wasn't just hope that she was speaking over us. Yeah. She knew that God was able to do more than we could ever think or ask. And so she was attaching our destiny to those words. Right. And I love that because she, she knew where her hope was anchored. She was sending up, you know, like in, uh, in the Batman, the old Batman <laughs> <laughs> series on TV, um, where they were wearing the tights and Adam Ward, you know. He would always throw that grappling hook up over the building and, the, you know, they'd pull themselves up. But I think that was her, that was grandmother's grappling hook spiritually. I will speak these words over your life because I believe in the God that is in us, yeah. is able to do more than I could ever think or ask. And so that's an incredible important thing is to speak words of encouragement and hope because we know that God can do more. So why not just go ahead and attach the Batman grappling hook? <laughs> That's that faith of throwing. That's throwing that faith up yeah. there. And then we just get to keep climbing 
and know that the Lord will meet us in our effort. And in, I, know, I know she knew that. You know, prayer had to be a massive part in her life. And, For sure. you know, when I look at our family, and again, nine kids, and uh, 27 of us in our generation, uh, Grandma uh, really did, I think, stay close to God in the area of praying for mates yes. for her kids and grandkids. I and mean, aren't we the recipients oh, yes. I of remember, that generational prayer? Um, gosh, I was still a teenager. I think I was probably 17 or so. And I dated a lot of girls, you know, and Grandma I met some of them. And um, she met Mary Alice and just made a beeline for Mary Alice. Of course, Mary Alice cherishes Grandma. Uh, she said to Mary Alice, you're the one from Mark because you will pray for him. Oh man, you know. that sounds exactly like what she yeah. would say. And she did, she knew things. She did. She did. She knew I think things. it's because she was so close to God. She was. The and Spirit I think of because God. she walked with God, there was this yes. sense of leadership in, in her life. I, I don't think I've ever met anybody who had a simpler faith of yes. just day by day trusting God to lead her, lead her children, lead her grandchildren. And what an encouragement that you don't have to be sophisticated in your faith to make an impact. That some of us think like, oh man, I don't have all the concepts. Man, I just, I wish I knew how to read Greek in the the New Testament, then I'd really understand it. My grandmother had a sixth grade, fifth grade education, fifth or sixth grade. And, um, but she knew the Lord and she knew the word of God. And she just, she was all in. She staked her life and her children's lives and her grandchildren's lives. And she for sure prayed my husband to me, looked down through the generations. And my mom had had a horrible marriage and was incredibly damaged emotionally. And for sure, she, she prayed my um, stepdad into our lives. And um, we can do that for our kids. We can pray over them and... Um, you know, she stayed close to God, and we could, we could smell the essence of God on her. She was so close to him that you felt, um, and not because she was, once again, sophisticated in her faith, very ch- simple childlike faith. God said it, okay, let's, let's do that. Let's live by that. And that was how she lived her life and passed it on to us. You know, it's amazing, and just uh bring this to a close, because if you hear Anita and me talk about our grandmother, and we, we, we do all the time, I mean, yes. we're just sitting down having coffee, and we'll start talking about her. She's been gone almost 40 years, and to think about the legacy and the impact yes. that stays with us. You know, Anita, there are a lot of moms watching us on this Mother's Day weekend, and you know, when the cameras were off, and you and I were still talking, you shared something about Grandma that you said, I feel like this kind of sums up her life. And I'd like for you to share that with all the moms and grandmothers today. There's a story in Mark about a woman who came into a place where Jesus was and she brought her box of perfume, her oil. And oils then were very precious and expensive and difficult to come by. And she walked into that room and she broke the box, which I think was great intention. She didn't mean to just pour out a little bit. She broke it open and anointed his feet. And of course, you know, the people around are nannying, you know, why? What in the world? What a terrible waste. We could have sold it. Of course, I think that was probably Judas that said, (laughs) I think it was. Could have sold it. 
had a lot of money to do a lot of great ministry. And Jesus went, shh, quiet. Um, this woman's name, and, well, not her name, we don't know her name. Her story will be told for generations and generations because she did what she could. And a lot of moms feel frustrated because they're, they're just trying to keep it together, trying to hold a family together in a coronavirus pandemic um, with financial issues and emotional issues and family breaks. And she's just trying to hold it together. But can I just say, you don't have to do, you don't have to, you know, scale the highest buildings and, you know, all this heroic things. Jesus said she got spiritual credit because she did what she could. Yeah. Not what the mom next to you could do and not what the mom has her Pinterest page and her Instagram account. You just do what you can. The Lord is looking for your faithfulness in your household with your people. And sometimes we forget that the Lord who sees will say, good on you, girl. You did what you could. Well, thank you, Anita. And, and for all of you watching today, I just want to uh, say happy Mother's Day weekend. And when you look at Anita and me and look at our families, you're looking at a couple of people whose lives were dramatically altered because one woman who came from the worst kinds of situation decided to follow Jesus and day by day did what she could to follow him. And it changed the direction forever of our family. So thank you, God bless you. And thank you, Anita, for the little bonus material. Aww. That These are things I would have liked to have put in the sermon, but hey, 30, 35 minutes it goes, goes by fast. so fast. It does. Yeah. So thank you again and happy Mother's Day. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.